Bible in front of you, and I assume that you do. And I'd invite you to uh, turn with me to Ezra and uh, chapter 5, the passage of truth that we read a couple of moments ago. Ezra chapter 5. Now, many years ago, um, when I was at university, uh, my friends and I were faced with uh, the dilemma of which short courses, uh, which short courses to choose in order to kind of make up our study quota. You know, to gain enough credits to get into the next academic year, and uh, being the stereotypical work-shy students uh, that we were. We always looked at the easiest and uh, the simplest short courses that were available. And in our last year, we struck gold and we enrolled in a class called Film and Ethics. Film and Ethics. And uh, really, that was perfect because it hardly required any work whatsoever, because all you had to do in the class um, was watch a film and then write about uh, 500 to 1,000 words, uh, pointing out the parallels, the parallels in the storyline of the film with a a religious theme. So you know the sort of thing. Um, Let's take The Truman Show. Okay, so you would write uh, about 500 words about how uh, God uh, was the picture of the sort of eye in the sky in the Truman Show. Or you would watch a Clint Eastwood film and you would write about the themes of uh, uh, redemption in that. And of course, uh, predictably, we'd end up pretending to see parallels where there probably weren't any parallels. And uh, the more obscure the parallel you, you would write about, the better grade Uh, you would seem to get. But over the last few weeks, as we've gone through Ezra, there's been a lot of talk about legitimate parallels between, you know, the story of the people of God here and the reality of redemption in Jesus Christ. Legitimate parallels... You know, think back over this series. Do you remember chapter 1? Remember Cyrus and that decree? And we saw, didn't we, the, the parallel between Cyrus as this kind of powerful ruler over this massive empire and him just being a foreshadow of the true power in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 2, do you remember chapter 2? I remember chapter 2 because it is that list of names in Ezra. But that was a parallel, a parallel, a foreshadow of the day when the book of life will be opened and the names of the people of God will be read aloud. So lots and lots of, of parallels. So as we begin tonight, and before we get to chapter 5, I wonder, do you see the parallels between the people of God in Ezra and us tonight. 
Do you see the parallels between this community of faith and our community of faith in the heart of the city of London? Well, think about it for a moment, the parallels between the two. Because in Ezra, what do we have? Well, we've got a a relatively small, fragile, vulnerable community of faith. Okay? In Ezra, the people of God, this community, they are surrounded on all sides by a kind of faithless, godless, immoral society. Does that sound familiar? And in Ezra, this community of faith is beginning the next chapter in their walk with God. The next chapter. And, and these parallels, they're part of the reason that, we've, we've, that we're studying Ezra. Because this, this book it is incredibly relevant uh, to our situation. And as we read it, you know, and as we go into it in a bit of depth, and as we read chapter by chapter... We should try and apply what the people got right and we should look at what the people got wrong in in Ezra. So hopefully tonight, we're looking at chapter 5, and hopefully we will see tonight a priority that the people had and it is a priority that absolutely revolutionized their community. It did. And it is a priority that can revolutionize our community of faith at LCPC. Because chapter 5 is about the people prioritizing the word of God. They prioritized the word of God. So let's look at this, okay? Let's look at chapter 5. And let's look at it in three parts, okay? Three parts. (coughs) And and the first part is this, that the word of God came in power. The word of God came in power. We all have that. That's point one. So let's refresh our memory. Where were we last Sunday night? Where we left this account in Ezra? What was going on? Well... We left it, to be honest, at a pretty depressing point. Things were not going well the last time we read it. Because the last verse that we looked at, the last verse of Ezra chapter 4 says that the work on the house of God in Jerusalem had come to a standstill. The people had given up. The people had given up on God. They had given up on the temple. They've been disobedient. And things were not going well spiritually. But now, look at this. Look at the beginning of chapter 5. Things have moved on a bit. Because there's a chronological gap, folks. There's a gap in time between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. There's a gap of about... 15 years and lots and lots has happened in that time the uh, the king in chapter 4 was Cyrus but Cyrus is dead now and then his successor Cambyses 
Well, he has bitten the dust as well. He's no longer. So we've got Darius. Or, if you're very posh, Darius uh, on the throne. So it is Darius. But we must note, there's something very important here. At the beginning of the chapter, we must note this, that despite the fact that the people of God have turned away from him, they have given up on God. We see that God has not given up on them. Because look at verse 1. Look what it says. It says, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet prophesied to the Jews in Judah. So despite the fact that the people have said, right, we're not building the temple, we're not doing that, we're giving up on God, God had not given up on them. Okay, so what do we know about these two characters that are mentioned uh, at the beginning of chapter 5? What do we know about Haggai and Zechariah? Haggai and Zechariah. What was the message that they brought to the people? Well, um, God's message through Haggai and Zechariah is recorded for us, isn't it? In the books uh, of the Bible that bear their name. Now, these two have similarities and they have Differences, Haggai and Zechariah. They're similar in when they prophesied, because they both prophesy in the second year of Darius. And also the theme of what they say is very similar. They say the same thing. They're both encouraging the people of God to get back to it, to get on with rebuilding the temple of God. But... They are different in the way that they give their message. Because Haggai, are you familiar with the book of Haggai? If not, read it, okay? But Haggai is direct. You know, Haggai does not sugarcoat his message. He is blunt. He is frank. To be honest, Haggai just rebukes the people of God. Whereas Zechariah, on the other hand, Zechariah, it's much more intricate. You know, Zechariah's message, it comes in elaborate imagery and, and visions. And there's a lot in the book that's difficult. You know, there's a lot in Zechariah that is difficult to decipher and get to grips with. But of course, What unifies or unites the book is that ultimately God speaks to the people through both Haggai and Zechariah. Because it says in verse 1 that uh, they prophesied in the name of God. Okay, have you got that? They prophesied in the name of God. That's crucial. You know, God's speaking here. The people have given up on him, but he has not given up. On them. He's called them back through his word. Let me ask you, does, does that ring true for you and your spiritual life tonight? Let me ask you, how is your relationship with God? Do you have a vibrant relationship 
with God? Or has it been a long, long time since you were found studying your Bible, reading your Bible, you know, with that incredible excitement with Scripture? Has it been a long time since you were in that place? Well, if it was, go back to God. You know, perhaps all of this tonight, all of this, the sermons, whole thing, perhaps it is God calling you back to him, saying, tonight, read the word, study the Bible, like we've not done in such a long, long time. Because the people in Ezra, they've been years, what was it, 15 years? Years in spiritual dryness, years away from God. And it was only through God's that that dryness vanished. So perhaps it's time that we went back to God's word. And if we do that, if we go back and we study God's word, and we study the Bible, well, we can't be surprised if we get rebuked. Don't be surprised if you go to scripture and get rebuked. Because we've seen there's different voices, there are different themes in the word of God. So we might be spoken to by God very directly, or it might be a bit more like Zechariah. It might be that we've got to work hard and and study God's word before we fully see what God has to say to us through scripture. But friends, regardless how it comes, let's go back to God's word. That is where the power is. Let us go back to God's word. Okay. Um, Over the... Uh, last few years, I think, um, certainly in the States and probably increasingly so in this country, um, it's been the case that doctors have begun to prescribe exercise as a way of um, battling various conditions, you know, as a way of uh, tackling, let's say, discouragement or depression or feelings of general apathy about life. And there was a huge study done um, quite recently in the States, and it claims to prove beyond doubt the benefits to the mind of being physically active, being physically active. Um, But surely, folks, spiritual apathy... Surely that is a problem that affects us in this country in the 21st century. Spiritual apathy. Do you not think that our churches in the UK are awash with people who are indifferent to the cause of Christ? Spiritual apathy. But we learn in this chapter of the cure for that. The cure for spiritual apathy. So that's point two. The word of God cured spiritual apathy. And, you know, man alive, these people were apathetic, weren't they? The people of God and Ezra, they were absolutely indifferent to God. You know, they've gone 15 years not building the temple. 15 years. Now, that's true apathy, that's real indifference. 
But yet, look how it changes. Look at it. Look at the end of the chapter. You know, this apathy in, in, in chapter 4, this 15 years of dryness, it's changed. And by the end of the chapter, they're on fire for God. They're enthusiastic. They're motivated. They are on fire for God. They're building the temple. So how did that happen? How did this interaction with Haggai and Zechariah cure their apathy? Well, friends, follow me here, please, okay? Because the word of God, it exposed their sin of materialism as a symptom of spiritual apathy. Okay, I'll say that again. The word of God it exposed the sin of materialism, materialism as a symptom of apathy. Because Haggai spoke to these people, he prophesied, and he said to them, Haggai to one, he said this, and how about this for bluntness from Haggai? He said, is it time for you yourselves to be living in panelled houses when this house remains a ruin? Give careful thought to your ways, for you have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So do you see what is... What Haggai is saying, do you see what's happening there? The word of God is exposing materialism as a symptom of spiritual apathy. These people, they lost enthusiasm for the temple. They lost enthusiasm for God. And they replaced it with enthusiasm for themselves. And is that a picture of us? Is it? Is that a picture of we are, where we are individually and as a congregation? You know, do we spend more time in our houses and our cars and our clothes and our jobs than we do on our relationship with God? And is that materialism just a symptom of something bigger? Is that materialism a symptom of our apathy for Jesus Christ? Now, have you lost that joy you had? Can you remember it? Do you remember when you first became a believer? Do you remember that real joy you had in your Savior? But over the years, is that kind of dull? They gradually dull. You know, take this Christmas service we've got in a couple of weeks. How do you how do you feel about that? Do you think, oh, you know, been there, I've done that, and I've bought the T-shirt, and these things they they, they don't really work. You know, we try them, but ultimately, only a couple of people will come in, and it's just it just it's not worthwhile. Is that how you feel about it? Well, if so, return 
to the word of God. Because that's exactly the error that the people of God in Ezra, the the error that they made. Because they thought, let's give up, let's give up working on the temple. God's not going to use this, he's not going to bless it. But after hearing from the word, their attitude changed. Because look at Tatanai's letter. Look what he says about them, you know. They were apathetic. They, they couldn't be bothered. Then God's word spoke to them. And then what happened? Tatanai reports that they worked with diligence. They worked making rapid progress, is what he said. The word of God cured their spiritual apathy and indifference and it can do that for us too now i don't normally do this but i was uh, i was reading about revivals at the beginning of the week it's not really what i normally read but it was interesting I was reading re- about revivals in wales and in scotland over the last couple of hundred years and do you know what marked the preaching during the revival Do you know what set it apart? Do you know what marked the work of the church during the revivals? Do you know what set it apart? Absolutely nothing. The preaching was exactly the same during the revivals in that year as it was the year before and that it was the year after. The work of the church was exactly the same the year of the revivals as it was the year before and the year after. The only difference was that God's hand of change and blessing was on those people. So do you see it? Do you get it? God can bless our outreach. God can bless this this Christmas service. So if we find ourselves really apathetic, you know, if we find ourselves indifferent to Christ and his work, then let's go back to scripture. And if we do that, and if we study God's word, wow, what a change there will be. We will be enthusiastic about opportunities to tell people the good news of Christ. We will be enthusiastic. So the word of God came in power, okay? The word of God cured apathy. And then we finish uh, in point three, that the word of God, it gave courage. The word of God gave courage. Now, it's not a confession time. Or, or anything like that. But um, if you're like me, then over the course of your Christian life, you will have um, missed or not taken uh, countless opportunities to talk of your Savior. You'll have missed or not grabbed opportunities to talk of Jesus Christ. Because the reality is that uh, very frequently we're scared, aren't we? We're scared to talk of our faith and reluctant to speak of our Savior. I think all too often we're like the people of God in, in chapter 4. Do you remember that? They're opposed by, the, by the, the authorities and they don't say anything. They don't talk about God. They remain silent. 
But look at chapter 5 and look what happens after the encounter with the word of God. Because in this letter that Tatenai, the governor, sends to Darius, Tatenai mentions how the people have been referring to themselves. And just look at how the people describe themselves in verse 11. In verse 11, they say, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. Now, that might not seem all that significant, but I promise it is. Because in the previous chapter, they were just too afraid of earthly powers. And they gave in and didn't speak of God. But now, because they've heard from his word, now they have courage. Now they say, we are the servants. Now they boldly proclaim the name of God. And friends, if we are in Scripture, you know, on a daily basis, if we are reading God's word, if we are studying the Bible, then we will be much more likely to take a stand for our God. You know, if, if we wake up, we open our Bibles, and we read, say, a passage like uh, Joshua chapter 1. If we read, uh, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Or if we get up in the morning and we say we've read the Great Commission in Mark, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. If we've read stuff like that, then come on, surely, surely, as we go into our daily routine, as we go away to work or our studies or whatever it is, surely we are going to be more likely to have the name of Jesus on our lips. We're going to be much more willing and eager and ready to say, no matter who we meet, I am a servant of the God of heaven and earth. I am a servant of the God of heaven and earth. Friends, we must study God's word. He will bless that and he will provide courage, courage to tell other people of Jesus Christ. So the word of God came in power, didn't it? It cured spiritual apathy and it gave courage. So friends, is God telling you tonight to prioritize his word? Is he telling you that? If so, don't ignore that. And perhaps, friend, you've come tonight unbelieving. You've come as somebody who isn't a Christian. And you've heard all this talk of, of a transformation and change. And you're eager to know where this transformation can be found. Well, if that's the case, know this. That the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Friend, you can be transformed in Jesus Christ. So is God calling you? Is he calling you to trust and believe in Jesus Christ 
for the forgiveness of your sins. Is he calling you? I hope so. I really do. Let's pray.